This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where members of the House Education Committee have approved a bill to convert New College into a branch of Florida State University and turn Florida Polytechnic over to the University of Florida. The House and Senate take up their respective budgets for the upcoming fiscal year today. The Senate wants to spend about one and one half billion dollars more than the House. Lawmakers have spent a lot of time during the first half of the session talking about the regulation of vaping, but the House has just come up with a new plan, one that is not supported by the American Cancer Society or the American Heart Association. On the Sunrise interview, we sit down with Representative Chip Lamarca to talk about compensation for college athletes, butts on the beach, the size of wine bottles, and being a red representative in a bright blue county. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and the latest news from the unofficial mascot of the Sunshine State. You know him as Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, February 13th. The House Education Committee approves a last-minute bill that would reduce the number of state universities from 12 to 10. The proposal from Representative Randy Fine would turn Florida Polytechnic University in Lakeland into a satellite campus of the University of Florida, and New College in Sarasota would become a branch of Florida State University. New College and Florida Poly are the newest and smallest schools in the university system, and Fine says they cost too much. We have an obligation as, as legislators and an obligation of the state to provide the best education to we can to our, to our students at the lowest possible cost. And unfortunately, as we, as we discovered in our, in our committee, the cost of providing an education at Florida Poly and New College is an order of magnitude higher than it is our other schools. People pay tuition, but that's not the cost of a degree. We give $7 billion a year to our colleges and universities to help fund all kinds of other things at the university. So in addition to whatever tuition a student is paying, on average, the state, we the taxpayer, our constituents, pay $28,208 per degree that is issued. That's what we're appropriating. That's what we pay on average. But not at New College of Florida. At New College of Florida, we spend $197,681 per degree seven times as much. At Poly, we spend $180,958 per degree, six and a half times as much. So we could educate 10 students at one of our other schools in many of these cases for what we are, we are spending um, at these schools. That is a big part of it. It's also driven by when you are a small school of these size, your administrative costs get very high. At the University of Florida and Florida State, they spend less than 10% of their university revenue on administrative expenses. These schools spend almost a quarter of their revenue, not teaching, administering. Because it doesn't matter how big your school is, you gotta have a president, you gotta have a provost, you've gotta have a CFO. And your school may be 10 times the size, but you're not paying 10 times as much. So administrative costs are out of line. In the case of New College, um, there, is an additional, there is an additional reason. Um, the market, um, we have tried to help New College grow. In fact, the legislature has funded over $10 million of, of member projects whose goal it was to help New College get bigger. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't work. Um, the revenues or the, the, the enrollment at New College has continued to decline. Um, it was just a few years ago, 875 students. It went to 861, 837, and $727. So despite the legislature giving the school an additional $10.6 million with the sole focus to try to help them get to 1,200 students, the market just did not, did not respond. 
Um, and, and, and we have similar issues with poly, just in terms of the cost per student. And we have great schools. Florida and Florida State are great. These campuses don't necessarily go away, but there will be efficiencies in, in moving forward in this way. Fine's proposal caught just about everyone off guard, including Florida Polytechnic trustee Bob Stork. I've been in business here for 45 years, and I know that I can make numbers say what I want the numbers to say. The numbers that, that uh, Representative Fine gave you um, are numbers he chose. We were not notified of any of this. We found out about it on the news yesterday. We had no idea it was coming. But we had a big impact study done by Rick Harper. He's very, very well recognized. And Florida Poly graduates can expect a return on their investment, an ROI of three times better than the average university state system, Florida university state system. Florida Poly President Randy Avett rushed to the Capitol to try to head off the bill. He says their degrees cost more because the focus is STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. But Avent only had 90 seconds to make his case because the committee was running out of time. 91 colleges around the nation have closed or merged since 2016, and they all have one thing in common. They were failed institutions that couldn't attract students. Florida Polytechnic University does not fit into that category. So instead of spending a lot of time telling you about all the successes, I just want to put out a couple quick things and then get to the central issue, which is cost. Our graduates are completed their degrees in four years at a rate 42% higher than the average across the College of Engineering in the system. Our cost of attendance is $8,000 less than the cost of attendance at University of Florida. And the median starting wage of our graduates, $54,800. All that has led to this year, our freshman applications are up well over 50% and our deposits are up 16%. Given that eight years of decline in admissions nationally, a 10% increase in admissions would be impressive. 50% or more is remarkable. But engineering programs are expensive and a cursory analysis might not be completely accurate. For instance, the Delta Cost Project reported that an engineering degree costs between two to two and a half times more than traditional popular programs at comprehensive universities. The bottom line is that Florida Poly is not expensive because it's small. It's expensive because it's 100% steel. Representative Fine has been bombarded with complaints about the merger bill. Some have accused him of trying to undermine higher education. Others claim he just doesn't seem to care. I believe in the power of a public education and I believe in the power of a university education. But I was asked to do this job because I have no allegiance or loyalty to anything but what is right. And in this process, we have a lot of politics. But sometimes we have to focus on policy. See, there's no one who's going to stand up here and say, hey, it's great to take away people's scholarships or it's great to close a university. That doesn't mean it's not the right thing. I was asked to do this job because I have no fealty to any of these schools. My goal is for us to provide the best higher education we can at the lowest possible cost. Because if this bill goes into effect as designed, tens of millions of dollars will be available. We could increase the amount of money that goes to financial aid. We could give Bright Futures more money. We could get people off the Medicaid waiting list. We could put more money into water projects. That's how I think about everything in this process. So do not consider a vote for this bill, meaning that you do not care about higher education. What it means is that you're focused on us doing it in efficiently and responsibly a way as we can. So I know this is a hard vote. It's not an easy bill to present. Trust me. I got called all kinds of names yesterday. But that doesn't mean the vote to vote yes is not right. 
Funny thing about the bill is that only a couple of university officials spoke against it. Most of the complaints heard by the committee came from students and officials from private colleges, and they were more concerned about a provision in the bill that makes changes in what are known as EASE grants, short for Effective Access to Student Education. Florida lawmakers who are trying to figure out how to regulate vape shops have come up with a new idea. You might call it Plan B. While the state Senate is working on a bill that classifies vaping ingredients as tobacco products, Representative Jackie Toledo has offered an alternative. Her bill would create state regulations for vaping products and vape shops, but it would not include them under the definition or regulation of tobacco products. The American Cancer Society and the American Heart Association oppose the bill because they want the same regulations as tobacco. But Representative Kerry Pigman says they are just wrong to oppose the bill. There, there seems to be a lot of confusion here. I'm, I'm absolutely shocked that the American Cancer Society and the American Heart Society are not proponents of this bill. It disappoints me profoundly. And I hope their constituents look into this and see what their statewide organization is doing by trying to impede this bill. Because when you are an opponent to the bill, you are impeding the bill. Make no doubt about it. To get up at the podium and say, I'm in opposition, impedes the bill. Now, whatever the age that gets set at the federal government level, remember, we have no enforcement authority in Florida. That falls to the Food and Drug Administration. And at the gas stations I see selling these products, there's no FDA agent showing up to enforce. So one of the reasons that it's absent in this bill is a very sober realization that that's not our authority. The other criticism is that we are adopting some schema to regulate that's different than the feds. Well, I don't think that's a problem on its face, but let's dive into it. What you've been able to pick up is that the federal enforcement schema is predicated on a definition which is in dispute. I think Representative Toledo's issue to just take it out and regulate it as a separate entity is a fail-safe product or a fail-safe mechanism that avoids the whole definitional debate that Representative Andrade's talking about. There is genius to that. And I applaud you for doing that, and I hope everyone comes to realize the strategy behind this bill and what it seeks to accomplish, which is a tremendous amount. We're taking an unregulated business now and putting it within a regulating schema that will stand up to any subsequent court challenge about what's meant by a word, because we recognize it as something different. She's not providing a judgment. There's not some evaluation here that it is worse than or better than tobacco. It's simply saying this exists, and we're attempting to regulate it. So all those who are opponents to this bill need to study it more carefully and study the issue more carefully and understand what a state can do when there's federal confusion. I don't want to say confusion, where there's still federal dispute. Representative Toledo's bill would establish regulatory oversight at the Department of Business and Professional Regulation and require businesses selling vape products to get a retail permit. It would also give the department authority to find vape retailers for selling to underage customers. It's been approved by the Health Market Reform Subcommittee in the House. The House and Senate are planning to approve their new budgets today. During Wednesday's floor session, Senator Rob Bradley said their plan addresses many of the issues created by Florida's skyrocketing population. We have a lot of challenges that come uh, with explosive growth, uh, a lot of challenges that come uh, when you have to meet the needs of 21.8 million Floridians. Uh, and uh, I think that this budget meets that challenge. The budget invests in teachers and school personnel to the tune of $825 million above and beyond what we do in the current budget year. So we make an additional investment 
of $825 million in our teachers and school personnel. We make an investment of $646 million in water quality and water protection, $125 million in the Florida Forever program, and $403 million new dollars to support our valued state employees with across-the-board pay raises and targeted pay raises on top of their across-the-board raises in areas such as corrections. We also maintain $3.5 billion in reserves. I want to be specific about the pay raise issue because the across-the-board raise for all state employees is 3%. And then with regards to corrections, we have a real problem uh, with turnover in the Department of Corrections. And it's a problem that has existed for a while. So in addition to the 3% across the board raise, when it comes to correctional officers, correctional probation officers, and institutional security specialists, you have the 3% plus $500 for employees with less than two years experience, $1,500 for employees with more than two but less than five years experience, and then $2,500 for employees who have um, stayed with us for five or more years. Our state employees, in addition to the raises, um, are taken care of with an excellent health care plan. We have decided to pay for the increase in the cost of health insurance uh, through the budget so that our employees do not incur that extra cost for health care insurance. That's a significant amount of money, and that's something that we're doing for the benefit um, of our valued employees in this year's budget. We have not forgotten uh, our friends in the state who have um, dealt with hurricanes. This year includes $241.5 million in major initiatives uh, to deal with hurricane recovery. And at the opposite end of the rotunda, Appropriations Chairman Travis Cummings was presenting the House budget. This budget you will see is not only fiscally responsible, but it is one that addresses any great needs of particularly some of our vulnerable Floridians as well as uh, many of our workers uh, that uh, are in the trenches in their respective roles each day. It totals $91.4 billion, a $381.1 million increase or 0.4% than the current year budget. The total budget is estimated to cost $4,158 on a per capita basis, which is a reduction of 1.1% from the current fiscal year spending. It has roughly 112 1,600 FTEs and reserves over $3.7 billion. The proposed budget includes $1.7 billion for hurricane-related recovery and preparation, $181 million for state employee raises, including $1,800 for any state workers making less than $50,000 per year. It also holds all state employee insurance costs constant, which Otherwise, it would have reflected about a 6% increase to health insurance costs, which equates to over $80 million. This state budget will absorb that and not pass that on to our fine workers in our state. Furthermore, from a child welfare standpoint, which obviously has been important to the House and our speaker, we have a 5 to 10% step increase for child protect protective investigators and a significant funding increase in the Department of Children, Families, and Child Welfare. A $1,800 across the board raise for correctional officers with an additional 2,000 increase 
their dollar increase for the officers working in facilities with the greatest or largest vacancy rates. Finally, a $650 million uh, in funding is in, obviously, the budget for the environment, which equals what we did last year, which I think we should all be proud of, and also $650 million in teacher raises. Both chambers will pass their budgets today, and then the bargaining begins as lawmakers try to hammer out a final compromise on spending. The House is doing a solid for Representative Kristen Jacobs of Coconut Creek. She's been working for years on a bill to ban shark finning in Florida. She's also battling cancer, and her bill was about to slip through the cracks while she's in the hospital. But Representative Blaze Angolia asked his colleagues to bend the rules so her bill can be heard in committee today. She's been battling some health issues, and everyone in this chamber knows how much she means to us, um, and I think we know how much she means, um, we mean to her. So having said that, Rep. Jacobs has asked that the State Affairs Committee consider her shark bill, HB 401, tomorrow in State Affairs. Unfortunately, we had already uh, printed up the agenda and noticed the agenda, um, but she did ask, and we know how important that piece of legislation is to her because she's been working on it for years, uh, and we intend to honor that request. So, Mr. Speaker, therefore, I move that we waive the rules to allow the State Affairs Committee notice for tomorrow's meeting be amended to add HB 401. Representative Ingolia moves that we waive the rules to allow State Affairs Committee to notice for tomorrow's meeting and amend to add House Bill 401. Are there questions? All in favor signify by saying yay. yay. Opposed, no. Show the motion is approved. The State Affairs Committee may amend their committee meeting for tomorrow's meeting to add HB 401. Representative Jacobs is still working on the bill from her hospital bed. All of us at Florida Politics wish her the best. Next up on the Sunrise interview, we're talking with a lawmaker who is part of the majority here in the Capitol, but he's a minority of one back home. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predicted is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predicted beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. He said, she said listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Our guest today on the Sunrise interview is State Representative Chip LaMarca, who has the distinction of being the only Republican representative in the Democratic bastion of Broward County. You know, the one thing I learned a long time ago about uh, business or uh, trying to get things done in, in the, the policy world is you have to you have to negotiate. You have to, um, you know, there's some people don't like to, but you have to compromise if you want to get somewhere. And I spent eight years on the Broward County Commission as the only person on the other side, and we got a lot of good things done. There beach projects, Port Everglades, airport, a lot of good stuff for the community. But it's because I was willing to sit and negotiate uh, away some of the things that were in, you know, my perfect uh, legislation and and uh, in order to get us to a, to a place where, you know, we can meet in the middle. What's it like being the lone Republican in the Broward delegation? Uh, you know, I, I find it, uh, it was clearly invigorating to be here in Tallahassee when I'm, when I'm around some other ones, uh, but having spent eight years in the county commission, worked with some great people on the commission, uh, sometimes I didn't respect the fact that uh, I had a little, you know, maybe a slightly uh, different uh, perspective in the political world or ideology than they did, um, you know, uh, but I, I think I'm in the right place now and enjoying what I'm doing. 
Broward's uh, District 93, it's coastal, coastal district, and the issues from a very diverse part of the state and even a very diverse part of my county. Um, and what I seem to, to find is that people will cross the aisle, people will work with you if you're working on their issues. Um, it's, uh, we haven't got to the point where local government or even state government is like Washington yet. Um, and people will uh, will work with me if I'm willing to work with them. So I, I'm privileged to be here and, and sit with you and kind of talk about some of our issues. What was your aha moment where you suddenly realized it's like, I want to be in the state legislature. There's something I want to accomplish there. So uh, ironically, it wasn't specifically an issue. I mean, we were getting a lot of great things done in Broward County and pr- previously that on the city commission in Lighthouse Point. But my aha moment was uh, exactly what you identified when we started this interview is, George Moritis was term limited out, and it's the last seat in Broward County that there was a majority member, possible uh, member of the legislature. And I said, well, we can't lose that voice in Tallahassee. So I'm clearly not here for me, not not here for the money, not here for the, the travel. Um, we just have to have somebody in Broward County uh, in the legislature that's the majority party, because if there's decisions being made, whether it's for Sadowski or uh, healthcare or for anything, education, environment, those are important issues. We don't want to be shut out of those issues. So what's on your radar for the 2020 session? So we've we've got uh, my, my critical issues uh, or the big picture issues are probably similar to what the governor would say or other folks, the, the environment, education and the economy. Um, but specifically on on legislative policy, uh, it's a student athlete bill, a collegiate athlete bill that uh, would allow student athletes to participate in the free market. I mean, right now they're barred from being treated like any other student uh, who could start a business, could build an app and build a program, build a business out of college. Um, not if you're playing a sport, even if you're a walk on the NCAA or NAIA or any organization will take, you know, will take you out of that that possibility. Is this just selling the, the likeness and the image or is it should college athletes actually get some sort of stipend? Well, so they're getting a stipend now. I don't I, don't, I believe this bill is as unfair to being uh, uh, equal disbursement or pay as anything. There is another bill that was called uh, the pay to play, which is very uh, similar to California's. Uh, ours is just saying that, you know, you student athlete, whether you play lacrosse, football, ladies soccer, if you have the ability to benefit off of your name, image, likeness, and persona, whether it's an Instagram account with a million uh, uh followers or if you do videos on YouTube or you do a radio show like you do, uh, you should be able to benefit off that because you're a free individual who lives in the United States of America, just like any other student. So it's just off your name, image, and likeness, no pay. Yeah. You know, the governor came out in support of it. He's a, obviously a former collegiate baseball player at Yale, and uh, it, it, so he supports it. Uh, the House got behind it. Uh, my speaker, Oliva, uh, was... was um, was engaged in it and he's taken a little bit of a different approach to it and making sure that uh, certain benefits to student athletes, they wouldn't lose their scholarship, they get hurt. Uh, there's some uh, disability uh, pieces to it with regard to you know their, their health and their future. Um, and also a, a financial literacy piece that would uh, make sure that student athletes like any other uh, student uh, as they approach getting out of college shouldn't know what to do with their money, have the responsibility if they're privileged to, to uh, you know, make some money off of whatever it might be, that they do the right thing with it. So the prospects are good. I noticed you were also active on the, uh, let's give local governments the right to ban smoking at public parks and waterways. Right. What's what's going on with that? On beaches, um, well, we're, we, uh, we're, we're, we're still trying right now. Uh, the Ag and Natural Resources Committee has stopped meeting. We're trying to figure out if there's anything we can do with it this year. If not, we're certainly going to be hitting the ground running within the next session. This has been going pretty quick. And 
Um, Senator Mayfield has a bill over in the Senate that uh, mainly deals with parks. My biggest concern, because I live in a coastal community, was making sure that our beaches aren't you know someone's ashtray, that we want to make sure they're pristine and people want to come visit. Isn't that sort of taking away a classic Florida tradition, though, of dumping your butts on the beach? <laughs> well, I, I just say Senator uh, Gruders has the, the Senate side of this bill, and he had a great idea for a promotional piece, but I, I probably wouldn't run it in Broward County. Uh, but, it, but it had to do with uh, something like that. I now, also, I noticed you're, you're working on the wine bottle bill. Mm-hmm. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar at home, Florida has very strict limits on the sizes of bottles that are allowed. What, what is that all about? You know what? It's it's one of those bad laws that that uh, was probably created because somebody made a specific size for I think it was a four point one six gallon bottle um, in Central Florida somewhere, and and they basically locked down the market. It's not opposed by the distributors. It's not it's not a hit on the three tier system. Um, it is it's just an antiquated law. And there's a poster there of the different wine bottle sizes, and you're you're cut off at a double magnum. You can't get a Jeroboam or a Salamanzar or Nebuchadnezzar or those great big bottles of wine if you're going to celebrate, you know, your 50th wedding anniversary or your kid graduates from college and you have 50 people at a party. You can just pop open a big bottle of wine in the state of Florida. It should be uh, it should be legal. Are those giant long neck Chianti bottles legal in Florida? <laughs> uh, if they're bigger than one gallon, no. <laughs> but I think the basket that are, that are under them is probably still legal. Representative Lamarca lives in Lighthouse Point and says its favorite pastimes are boating, fishing, music, specifically drums, and enjoying Florida's beaches. Your calendar of events? Well, the House State Affairs Committee meets at 8 this morning. The House Commerce Committee and the House Public Integrity Committee meet at 9. All three of the appropriations subcommittees in the Senate are meeting at 10. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. The Senate Health and Human Services Appropriations Subcommittee, the Senate Transportation, Tourism, and Economic Development Appropriations Subcommittee, and the Senate Finance and Tax Committee are all meeting at 1230. The House of Representatives is scheduled to hold a floor session beginning at 1.30, and the Senate plans to hold a floor session starting at 2.30. Finally, it's time once again to check in with Florida men, including one guy who pulled over a deputy and another who threatened the president. A Florida man who stopped a deputy to ask for directions ended up in jail. 63-year-old Juan Zamora was driving near Ocala when he flashed his headlights at a squad car and asked for directions to an auto parts store. The deputy smelled alcohol, says the man's blood alcohol level was almost twice the legal limit. The officer also found a bottle of whiskey in the car and a small bag of white powder in Zamora's pocket that tested positive for cocaine. He never did get to the auto parts store. And a Florida man no longer faces criminal charges because prosecutors have decided his online video threatening Donald Trump appeared to be, quote, more of a rant by an idiot than someone intent on harming the president. 26-year-old Chauncey Lump was dressed as an Arab for a skit he posted on Facebook Live calling out Trump for ordering the assassination of Iran's top military leader. He wrapped himself in a shower curtain and used a towel as a turban. Lump told authorities it was a joke and state and federal prosecutors both decided not to waste their time on him. He did, however, end up spending 32 days in jail. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.